Welcome to the Music Teachers in International Schools podcast. I'm your host, Chris Cormer, and I'm excited to be hosting the podcast today live from the Federation of British International Schools in Asia, or Fabicia. Some people say Fabicia, uh, from the Fabicia Music Teachers Conference. And this conference brings together music teachers from the region to collaborate and learn together. This community has a long history actually of supporting music students and music teachers with festivals and conferences and this is the first face-to-face event in many years. So today I have the privilege of speaking with three music teachers who are here at the conference and who have each been teaching in international schools for various lengths of time which we'll explore a bit during this episode. We have an audience here as well who might also chip in with some questions so we'll see how that goes. So to kick us off, I'm going to introduce Delphine, and she's worked for 20 years at Tangle and Trust International School in Singapore. So how you doing, Delphine? Good, thanks, Chris. Great. Delphine, since you've been 20 years at Tangle and Trust, and we've known each other for a while, which has been cool, can you tell me kind of what has changed over those 20 years, having worked in an international school as a music teacher? Well, I mean, the curriculum's changed an awful lot. Um, It used to be very separate infant, junior and senior schools. And in recent years, we developed a curriculum that goes all the way through. And so we tried being more collaborative. And the schools got much bigger. So it used to be, you know, you knew everybody. And when I started, we knew everybody. And now people, you clap them to say goodbye and you've never even met them. So it is a big campus and it does have a small feel in the infant school, but you definitely don't know as many people as you used to. But I don't think that's a bad thing. It's just a change in dynamics. And the, and the students have changed massively as well. It used to be quite a few of the students did the whole journey from nursery to sixth form. And now I'd say there's only about three year groups that get all the way through. Yeah, right. Because the expats in Singapore have changed and COVID changed them. I mean, even before COVID, you know, there used to be lots of British and now it's much more culturally diverse. So there's a lot less primarily English or British or Australian mostly. Yeah, that's super interesting. And has the, like, has the city changed even in those 20 years and how? The city changes every day. <laughs> um, I mean, things like the public transport, we were talking about it earlier, the MRTs are amazing and the buses. And it used to be that everybody got taxes, but now taxes are expensive. So people tend to get buses and trains and things. And, and like the general feel of Singapore has changed a lot as well. It used to be, I don't know, it just feels much more... Can't phrase it properly. Do you feel more like you are a tourist rather yeah. than being a local? You know, having lived there 20 years, when you first came, everyone was quite happy that you were there, and now it's a different kind of feel. People are much more transient. They're like, oh, when are you leaving? Rather than you're here for life. In terms of curriculum, you know, having been in one school for 20 years, what's kind of been your favourite thing that you've developed in your primary, your primary school, right? I'm infants. Infants. So. Okay. Yeah. What's What's sort of your favourite element of the infants' curriculum that you have? I think it's mainly things I've picked up from conference, actually. So things like singing playground. I was lucky enough to see it on conference, and then we brought them out. I think you perhaps came to one of those yep. at Tanglin. And Tanglin's very good at kind of, if you have ideas, letting you take them forwards. So my line managers have always been, OK, great. That's new, give it a try. So we've done taiko drumming, that we've met somebody locally and set up taiko drums. So I quite like the fact that we've had lots of new initiatives and Tanglin's been supportive of those things in the music curriculum. So we sing on quite a big scale and do things quite big, which is nice. Great. And we've all been talking about the impact of COVID on music programs and how heavy that's been. Um, 
I guess now there's this kind of sense in the community here at the Fabisi Conference of renewal. Like we've kind of got concerts back and maybe too many concerts back at, <laughs> for some of us. It's just all happening again. But what are you kind of looking forward to this year ahead? We're really lucky because we've got a building, a new building, the TCB building. And I keep calling it my building, but it's not because the infant music is the only bit of level four. So that's been a long time coming. It stopped because of COVID and it just sort of stood there, not quite finished. And wow. any second now, that's opening. What's so the TCB? Tanglin Centenary Building. Because uh-huh. we're a hun- Tanglin's 100 in 2024. So there's lots of kind of things moving towards that. So that's quite exciting. So I'm moving and the senior music's moving and lots of exciting new things with that will be coming up. That sounds great. Cool. Well, thanks for that and for sharing your insight. Um, we're going to move on now to Emma. So, Emma, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's um, really cool to have met you, met you today. And um, Emma has worked for four years, also in Singapore, but at Dover Court International School. Um, what's it like working at Dover Court International School? Uh, every day is different. Um, yeah, it's very vibrant. Um, we have a lot of very diverse students with very diverse needs, uh, which makes every day challenging, but also uh, fulfilling as well. Um, musically, but also from a behaviour point of view, from a logistical point of view, from a can you walk through the canteen and um, survive point of view. There's lots of very kind of energetic young people there. Yeah, wow. And how did you get to international schooling? You've been there four years. Was, mm. Is this your first school? And if not, or if it is, how did you sort of get to this position you're in yeah, now? Yeah, that's a good question. I think um, I haven't always been very strategic about my career in terms of I've always known where I've wanted to go. It's very much been like opportunistic. Um, however, I spent, I was lucky enough to spend a year in Australia um, at a local school. At, I'm sorry uh, to hear it. Sorry? I'm sorry to hear you had to Well, no, it inspired in me to do more traveling. Um, so I did kind of a life swap. It was kind of like the holiday, but Jude Law didn't turn up at my door, unfortunately. Um, so I worked at Trinity Grammar in Kew for a year in Melbourne and um, really enjoyed it, enjoyed the, the living abroad side of it. Um, and then so as soon as I'd done that and that was over, I started looking for jobs abroad and thought I can do this job somewhere else in the world and experience it from a different cultural perspective. And that was a really exciting prospect. Sounds cool. I've got a good question for you. And <laughs> before this chat, I was like, should I share the questions with you? And you were like, oh, no. But let's see how we go. It's my favorite question. And some of the audience who've listened to the podcast might know what's coming here. My question I want to ask you is, what do you think it means to be a good international school music teacher? Take your time. So what's interesting, what I've noticed about international schools is sometimes how uninternational they are in some ways. And I think it's very easy to find yourself in a bubble and for schools to have an identity, to build an identity that possibly blocks out uh, some of the outside world, which we do, we do anywhere, wherever you are, if you're in inner city London, if you're in Japan, wherever it is. Um, and so I think to be a, a, a really inspiring teacher of any subject, but particularly music where the kind of diversity and culture is so central to it, is to always be looking outwards and always be looking um, to um, bring people together from different places. Mm. Love that answer. Thanks, Emma. Um, We're going to pass over to Tara. 
So Tara, thanks for joining us. And you are in your second year at Regents International School, Bangkok, right? That's right. Cool. Um, similar question that I asked Emma, what was your motivation for teaching music internationally? Um, I, I feel like I've always meant to come abroad and teach music. Um, I grew up in international schools. So actually I was an expat and went to an international school in Hong Kong and Singapore. I actually went to Tanglin no Junior way. School at the time <laughs> from 1990 to 1995. So, um, and then Holland. So having you know, then studied music in England, I always dreamt of coming back to the international world because I'd had such an enriching experience growing up. Um, and the, the family memories and the, the memories of school just always felt so, um, you know, the broad international mindedness has always stuck with me. Um, coming to England and sort of just noticing the differences between people and how I always gravitated to people who were from another country. So I always knew that I just wanted to connect with more people abroad. Um, so having taught in England for a while, I found my moment when my kids grew up a little bit to, uh, to apply for a, a job abroad. So it's worked. That's so exciting. Here. Yeah. So how many years were you international as a child? Was it your whole 18 schooling? years, yeah. Yeah. 18 so you, years. Would you describe yourself as like a third culture kid, that, that terminology? Yeah. Yeah? I don't know. Third culture kid, yeah. There you go. I mean, I always grew up saying, Mummy, where am I from? You know, you're English and Dad's Dutch and we live in Singapore. And when people ask me where I'm from, what do I say? Because I don't sound English. And when you grew up in an international school, you pick up that sort of twang, the either Australian, American twang. Yes. And it's that accent you pick up. Um, so it was always really interesting kind of figuring out where my roots are. Because obviously we, we went to England every summer, sometimes Christmases. And yeah, it's, it's interesting as well, taking my children on the same journey. Yes. Because I've got a six and an eight-year-old who obviously just moved just over a year ago. So, you know, they're finding their feet in terms of being international. But for them, I'm not sure if they feel that's a home yet still early days such an interesting concept like the where yeah. is home yeah. thing right um how does that then kind of inform you as a teacher do you think as a music educator or just generally as an international school teacher with your background such an interesting background in, in international schooling how is that informing you now do you think i feel like i you know i i think back to my musical my music teachers in for example tangling school and doing the big productions and imagining you know eight classes year sixes and eight year fives supporting the production and how, how on earth do they put that together um, was so vast. And I sort of have that vision of that's what an international school is. And I sort of feel as if an international school always has the opportunity to put on these big shows and events and they do, they do cultural events in a really big way. Mm. Um, so I think that's informed me in terms of just the understanding of the balance that you need to take between the curriculum classroom time versus the events and balancing that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Tricky Embrace it, embra and also embracing the, like you were saying, Emma, the cultures um, and, and trying to remember that our school and our, our community is full of all cultures 
and it's difficult sometimes to get out of that bubble of you know this is the British curriculum that we're doing or but how to bring in other um, skills of other teachers or parents to to broaden that and I still feel like at the moment I'm focused on curriculum and events and I need to bring that in a little bit more and I think that also comes with knowing the country better knowing more people networking and and, and bringing that in yeah 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 it takes time to yeah. develop fascinating I'm gonna throw it over to the audience now I can hardly see any of you because these lights but um does anyone have a question for any of our panel members if you do just put your hand up because I'll see that okay a question from the audience uh, Tara, as someone who grew up all over the world, um, did you feel, uh, I don't know, lonely, a bit sort of isolated? How often did you have to, uh, were you forced to move? I mean, because you, it wasn't your say when you moved, it was your parents' say, probably. And um, how did you kind of navigate that, that, that challenge? And, and do, you, do you sort of anticipate uh, any of those issues with uh, you know, your, own children, your own children? Okay, Tara. Um, that's a good question. And I find that people ask me that quite, quite often, actually. So I was born in Oman. Four years later, it was Hong Kong. Four years later, it was Singapore. Five years later, it was Holland. And I always think that um, each chunk of time was a long enough period for me to feel like I'd got to know a, a school, a country, a group of friends and understand it as a place before moving on. Um, and I'm the youngest of four children in my family, so obviously we became very close and that is your family unit that, that stays constant. Um, I, you know, I feel like my, my mum was, was key in keeping us together and, and you know she was very musical and 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 conscious of you know transitions and things so she was very invested in in making sure it was a positive experience and that you know we're all in it together and and I have to say the the hardest move I don't really remember being told when I was certainly don't remember being told when I was four that we're moving to Hong Kong and moving then to Singapore, age seven or eight. I don't really remember that experience. Um, but when I was 11 or 12, I left Singapore, and obviously as a nearly young teenager, that was really hard, and I didn't want to go and live in Europe. Oh, you know, I was like, Europe is cold, and <laughs> I want to be in Asia, and, and I feel like Europe is just a really unknown place to me, and, and the schooling just seems really weird. And, you know, my only experience was cousins and family that I have in England. So with the persuasion of we're gonna get a dog and you can have some new jeans and you can get a bicycle, there's just little things that you can hang on to and look forward to. Um, but it really only takes six months to a year before you're rolling in the new system. And because international schools are so welcoming and so inviting and they're really good at that, um, welcoming you in you know the expat world i think that makes it really uh, really manageable not necessarily easy um because some children don't necessarily transition that easily um i also feel as if it was at the time of my schooling that i wasn't it wasn't like in the middle of my exams or it wasn't in you know it was it was pretty much first year of secondary school and then i would, then i was in my secondary school until the end 
Um, but yeah, I do often think about how is that, how are my children going to move forward with this plan? And, and I feel like my daughter's very open-minded and, and, and accepting, very tolerant of what is thrown her way. And my son is a lot more emotional. He wears his heart on his sleeve. And he really, he really cried his eyes out yesterday when his grandma left back to England. And the heartbreak of, of feeling the distance is really strong. I might even start crying. <laughs> but it is, it's, it, that's like, it's, it's the rawness of, oh, that's your home and your family, but we're over here. Mm. Um, and I keep trying to remember, like, those are really happy memories, these are really happy memories, and we're, we're creating special, unique memories, which we will always hold on to. And any visitors you have become a really tight and closely uh, remembered time. Almost, I feel like when you visit members of the family abroad, you have a more connected time than if you're just sort of going for Sunday lunch, you know? Um, so I think for them moving forward, it's a matter of understanding that this is our family adventure and where, where are we going to take it? Our home is where our family is and, and trying to stay positive but real to their emotions and understanding of, okay, that's what you're going through and that's okay. <laughs> Um, so yeah that was a really amazing question <laughs> thank you and what an answer I mean it makes me think as teachers like how do we understand our students as well you know when you've got mm. this experience with your, your children uh, Emma you wanted to add something yeah I just thinking back to the first question you asked about what it what it means to be a good international music teacher I think in any school in any uh, country or place in the world um, music departments play such an important role in well-being I think it's a really if it's done well, it's a safe space where students come and can be themselves. And I think more than um, a lot of places, international schools need that because um, well-being is something that is, you know, very much affected by the kind of transient nature and students come and go and families are often absent. And so that role and that responsibility that we have as music teachers is kind of emphasised and, and there's more weight to it. Mm, nice point, yeah. It's almost like a home for... Can be. Can be. Yeah, absolutely. Nice. Anything else to add from the panel? Tara? Um, I just wanted to add uh, the other thing that I, f I think my children find very accepting is that I am working in their school and I'm very much part of their lives here. And I am their music teacher. And I think having that life in England didn't, wasn't possible. Mm. So it's almost as if coming abroad to work in an international school made it made it was 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 better it was more accessible for for getting that lifestyle that we like that we love um and spending more time with the family that way and so, yeah, that insight into their into their lives is is really special we have one more question from the audience uh this is a question for everyone um as international schools get increasingly vast um you were mentioning uh the ways that it can still sometimes feel like a small local school and I was interested in any ways you'd found to foster that feeling or whether you thought that feeling was even still possible. Delphine. Well I mean I've been here for 20 years like you were saying and when we first started we didn't have any children and Tangle was much smaller and now I've got children and they're teenagers and to get the small feel is sometimes doing different events and like on this week I went to a local children's home and took 16 of the year two students and just those 16 and in that moment 
we went to a different environment and they were like tangling ambassadors and were singing and doing playground games. And so it's kind of trying to hold on to the small stuff as well. And it, even though the big concerts are great, it's still doing the small things. And we've recently done some things. Last week, I was, went to a piano concert that we hosted with some amazing new grands and grand pianos. And one of my nursery children was playing. And there was somebody from nursery all the way up to sick form. And so even though it's a really big school, that concert was really intimate. And the music department started doing more of those small things. And since COVID, when we were trying to get over the performance side of things, we ended up doing one class at a time. Mm. And we're trying to hold on to that model now because the parents fed back. That it was so nice seeing their child and hearing their child and not their child being the top right-hand corner. So we're trying to keep, still keep things small so they still feel part of a community, but you still get that small event feel and small. That's one of these questions that's been coming up, right? Like, what have we kept post-COVID that are actually useful? And I haven't heard that one yet. That's a really cool one. Like, so all of our concerts were only allowed to be one class at a time. Yeah. And I was saying earlier, we had, to, we had last, last Christmas, we were doing sign language. And we did sign language because we couldn't sing. And some of the teachers this year were like, the sign language is so great. Can we do the sign language? And I was like, well, actually, the children can't sing because they've had masks for three <laughs> years. So, yeah, why not? But it's those kind of things. We're doing it really small just 24 rather than a 200. Yeah. Got really positive feedback. Nice. Anyone want to add to that? Yeah, Emma. So I think with some international schools and the growth that's happening, there's that sort of sense of tiny fish, large pond. And I think, again, as music teachers, I don't want to sound like put all these responsibilities on everyone listening, um, that we can help to nurture a sense of the students being able to embody their own sense of identity and and place anywhere um, and I think music departments can do that from being in an ensemble itself can give a sense of where they a sense of belonging um, you know inclusion and diversity are kind of buzzwords at the moment and that that needs to happen in in lots of different ways everywhere but I think with music particularly there's a kind of humanness about it that makes it even more important when you're t discussing something like identity and mm. belonging. Um, so even in a massive school, in a large group of people, if you're doing a certain musical activity where they're engaging and um, communicating, they will have that sense of identity and, and, and that's um, a really, really important, important lesson we can teach. Love it. Well, thank you all. Thanks to the three of you for sharing your, your insight your wisdom, um, your experience. And I think that's, if anything, what this podcast hopes to do is just to tap into this collective understanding that we have in this community because there's so many of us that um, have so, such different diverse experiences in international school education. But there are some things that link us together, that draw us together. So really enjoyed that. Um, thanks again to the audience. And yeah, thank you again. And let's give our panelists a round of applause.